Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News, Good Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I can't think of any better news to share with you than the good news that your sins are forgiven by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That's what we celebrate today on Good Friday, traditionally the day when we in the body of Christ commemorate the death, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Many evangelical churches will take the Last Supper, the Last Passover, the First Communion, and uh, kind of roll it into a Good Friday service. And if your church does a hybrid, I'll recalibrate for you. Yesterday here on the program, we talked about, we kind of summarized all of Holy Week from the Passover beginning of the festivities back on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry on Monday, Jesus coming into the temple and overturning the money tables and and scolding the Jewish leaders there who were converting people's money at a premium into the Jewish coin, the temple coin. And in many cases, disallowing some of the sacrifices so you would be forced to buy theirs, the ones they sold in the temple. It was strictly a business transaction. So when Jesus says, my house should be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves or a den of iniquity, he has every, just imagine the the sanctuary at your church and you go there for a worship holy, worshipful holy time, in this case, Passover. And it's, it, it's a swap meet. I mean, they're selling things. They're, they're changing money into currency that is the only kind. I mean, it's fun when you go to a carnival, right? And they go, oh, yeah, we got uh, carnival bucks today. And you buy raffle tickets and whatever, and you can use them to exchange, you know, for whatever. Um, that way they get your money, but then you have some fun with it. You know, sometimes you might win. You, know, you could buy 10 tickets for a dollar or uh, 25 tickets for $2 or, you know, whatever it is. It's the other way around at the temple because these guys were charging a usury interest, if you will, or an exchange rate to exchange your money into the temple currency, and then they would charge you for the smallest of sacrifices. Even if you bought one on the way and brought it in, they would disallow it oftentimes to make more money. So Jesus turns those guys on their heads. Then he comes back the next day and they're like, hey, what authority are you using to be this way? And he says, okay, I'll answer your question. If you answer my question, you ask me what, where do I get my authority and whose authority is it? I'll ask you, uh, John's baptism, was that from heaven or was it from mankind? And the Pharisees look around and go, well, we can't answer that question because if we say it's from heaven, then he'll say, why didn't you believe it was from God? But if we say it's from mankind because we we're afraid of the people, then he'll say, you don't love God and you're supposed to be Pharisees. So they say, we don't know. And Jesus says, okay, if you don't know that I'm not going to tell you what my authority is either. And then he calls them out. Then he makes them answer the question with the parable of the two sons and the parable of the tenants. And I love this about Jesus. He says, okay, here's the deal. Man has two sons. Son number one, he says, go work out in the vineyard. Son says, sure, doesn't do it. Son number two, he asks him the same question. And the son says, no, I don't want to do it. And goes out and does it. Then he says, which one obeyed his father? They know scripture. They know that Torah obedience means if you do what God asks you to do or commands you to do, then you're blessed. And if you don't, then you're cursed. So they say the one who did what his father wanted. And then Jesus says, oh, good answer there, fellas. But by the way, did you know that tax collectors and prostitutes are going into heaven before you? The next day, silent Wednesday, if you will, traditionally a day recognized as when Jesus was anointed. Bethany, he cursed the fig tree. He did a lot of cursing of fig trees that week. And then... 
probably most importantly, that's the day that's recognized as the day that Judas went to the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, I will betray Jesus. We'll do it tomorrow night. He's going to give me the opportunity at the Passover meal on my cue. Be ready. So that leads us to the Passover meal, the last Passover supper, where Jesus says, hey guys, you know, we sacrificed a lamb and we had this meal here and stuff like that, like good Jewish men should do. But I just wanted you to know this is the last supper you're going to have. Not only the last supper with me here on earth, but the last Passover, because from here on out, there's a new covenant and it's in my blood that will be shed for you and for all people. So anytime you get a pastor in the pulpit saying, Jesus only died for Christians, remind him that Jesus says, my blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins for all people. Now, the reason why it kind of becomes just a, a bit more specific and specified is the fact that I mean, it's really very simple. The only people who benefit from the death of Jesus on the cross are the people who believe and receive. Make any sense? I mean, it's kind of like saying, if Jesus said, I put a million dollars in a bank account for every single person who ever walked the face of the earth. But the only people who benefit from the million dollars are whom? The people who believe it was there for them and went to the bank and took it out. Just because Jesus died and paid the penalty for the sins of the world doesn't mean the sins of the world are all forgiven because the people in the world that don't say, you know what? Jesus Christ is the son of God. I am a sinner. I do believe I live in a sinful fallen world. And the only uh, remediation for my sin the only restitution that can be made is the blood of Jesus. And I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. I believe it more now than I ever have in my life. And I pray that you would too. But on that Good Friday, we call it Good Friday. And people go, why is it so good? It's good because this is the day when we get our salvation. This is the day when the sins of the world are paid for. This is the day when Jesus pours out his body. This is the day, I mean, that culminates Oh my goodness, it culminates in this powerful, uh, just absolutely powerful uh, experience of Jesus in John 13 and John 14. He washes the disciples' feet and basically says, look, if you want to be the greatest of the kingdom, you have to be the servant of all. And if you want to be the servant of all, you have to be prepared to do dungy, dirty, awful foot washing duty. Then Jesus says, okay, here's the deal. Uh, basically, this is John 13, verse 19. I'm telling you now before this happens, so when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And then he said, very truly, I tell you, one of you here is going to betray me. And... Simon Peter motioned to John and asked, asked him what he means. And uh, Jesus says, look, um, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread that when I've dipped it in the dish, and then he dips the piece of bread in the dish and gave it to Judas. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him because there is no way on earth that in the presence of the living God, any human being would say, I fear God no, I fear Satan more. But when Satan, Satan had to enter into Judas. If people wonder, when you see people acting out and doing horrible things, you wonder, what's up with this evil in the world? Satan's in your mind, Satan's in your heart, Satan's all around you, whispering in your ear, trying to get you to 
uh, basically move on Jesus. Right after Judas goes to basically tell the Pharisees it's time, Jesus says, look, the Son of Man is glorified, God is glorified in him. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, you will, I will tell you now where I'm going, you can't go. And then verse 34 and 35, I love this. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This being, if you love one another. You've got, you've got Gentiles and Samaritans and Zealots and Jews all together. If these guys can get along, you know it has to be the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Then Simon Peter asks him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my all for you. And Jesus said, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Can I add a sidebar here? I have been watching a lot of media ministry over the past three, four years, largely because of, you know, when the pandemic was happening, you start watching people online, and now I'm kind of hooked on some and others. I'll tell you what, when I hear Jesus in John 13 rebuking Peter, I try to put him in the voice of a lot of pastors that you hear in the pulpit. They get up and go, you know, God wants to do a really great work in your life, man. You know, and I just, I mean, just, I'm trying to imagine Jesus predicting Peter's denial. Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, where am I, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And here's how Jesus responds. Will you really like lay down your life for me? I mean, very truly, I tell you, I mean, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me, dude, like three times. Here's how I hear Jesus saying that. Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, listen to me. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter didn't want to hear that, but he had to hear it. And Jesus made sure he heard it. Good Friday, just getting warmed up. A great new book to share with you that's perfect for this week. Uh, Josh White is an author, a pastor, a musician who uh, talks about losing and finding our identity in the cross of Christ. And he's got a brand new book called Stumbling Toward Eternity as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today on The Bottom Line, we're going to take a look at what it means to live as free people in Christ, to have uh, the kind of freedom that we long for and that we find only in him. And yet at the same time, we find ourselves 
desperate for God and for his influence on our lives? And why is it that so many of us feel that that desperation can lead us to uncertainty rather than certainty in who we have? Uh, Josh White is a speaker. He's a pastor. He's a recording artist and a writer. He's the founding pastor of Door of Hope, which is a thriving church in the heart of Portland, Oregon. And he is the author of a brand new book that has my favorite book title of 2023 so far called Stumbling Toward Eternity, Losing and Finding Ourselves in the Cross of Jesus. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Josh White, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you for having me. Why are we stumbling? I mean, and are we, at least we're stumbling in the right direction. Yes? Yeah, well... You know, um, what, what I always like to say in the book is that if the cross is, you know, we, we often think of the cross as a, a stumbling block for those that are outside of the faith. Uh, but we forget that the cross is a continual stumbling block, not only for those outside the faith, but for us as well, because it constantly challenges our kind of default setting to take our lives into our own hands uh, mm. to to try to, uh, even when we're serving Jesus, the temptation to exert our own will or to get in front of him or lag behind him instead of follow follow after him, uh, it can create uh, the natural tendency to, to stumble. And that's my kind of the emphasis of my book is this is why grace is so necessary. The good news is is not our ability to climb to heaven, but God's God's gospel is down to earth. He meets us in our brokenness. And so, um, but that's not easy to, I always say that the, the paradox is it's not easy to accept. It's, it's actually really hard for most people to accept help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so the good, the book is meant to show us that we desperately need Jesus's help, even as born again, spirit filled Christians. Uh, we still, the spirit is working in the context of a fallen world and in these glitchy vehicles called us. <laughs> so <laughs> it's what I call the law of mixture. <laughs> uh, I like that. The glitchy vehicle called us. Uh, Josh White, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Stumbling Toward Eternity, which we have a link for up at thebottomlineshow.com. When we think about the cross, I mean, and of course, here we are coming up on Holy Week and, uh, you know, in, in the Resurrection Day coming up on April 9th. There are many people who are going to be looking at the cross, I, I hate to say it, but for the first time in maybe a year, I mean, in terms of what their, their salvation's all about, and they're going to see, some people are going to see it as a cross of judgment, you know, for a sin and you know, the penalty for being paid for death, and others are going to see it as a cross of forgiveness. Josh, talk about why it's kind of a both end, not an either or. Yeah, well, I think uh, one of the things that's, that, uh, you know, un unfortunately in a world where even under the umbrella of orthodoxy or Protestantism, the multitude of denominations often comes down to picking a particular facet of atonement to cling mm -hmm. to. Um, and not only is it a place of substitution, but it's also a place of victory. And not only is it a place of forgiveness, but the forgiveness came um, at the at the expense of the one who is both the judge and the judged in our place. And so, mm -hmm. um, so I think that, it, you know, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, uh, for they know not what they do. I mean, the first statement made from the cross is this profound statement. It's not Jesus wrestling out of a angry dad, a forgiveness for a rebellious <laughs> yeah. kids. Uh, yeah. We have to be very careful not to play the persons of the Godhead against them, each other. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, T.F. Torrance wisely said, there is no God behind the back of Jesus. Uh, and in showing it to Jesus when he said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So, And he said, I only speak those things that please the Father. So and when he says, Father, forgive them, what he's revealing is that it's the Father's heart to forgive. That, but the, the, the 
other side of that, the underbelly of that is that there's much, <laughs> it says, forgive them for they know not what they do, that ignorance is not innocence. And there's much that we've done that needs forgiving. Um, mm-hmm. And that, you know, I think the beauty of the gospel is that I hold tenaciously that Jesus, um, that all forgiveness has been accomplished by Christ. Um, uh, but that doesn't mean that <laughs> that people will receive that forgiveness. Um, yes. And 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 even for us as Christians, that all sin may be forgiven, past, present, and future. Um, but forgiven sin, sin still has the ability to wreak havoc in our lives, which is why Paul and Peter warn us not to uh, utilize our freedom that we have because we've been forgiven, because we've been born again, to once again serve the flesh. We wouldn't have been warned not to do that unless it was a possibility, which is kind of part of that theme of, of stumbling, why we need to continually, the cross is meant to, to humble us and bring us back to a place of, of recognizing our desperate need for his help and he's mm. and how he how how absolutely willing he is to give it <laughs> so. yes amen to that and we're, we're so grateful that he has pastor josh white is my guest today here on the bottom line stumbling toward eternity is the name of the new book losing and finding ourselves in the cross of jesus uh, we've got a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com as you were sharing those thoughts josh about that uh, that first you know kind of uh uh, paradox, if you will. I thought I, I thought to myself, you know, that's kind of, I'm not really a life verse type of person, but that Father forgive them, they know that what they do really has been driving a lot of my ministry over the past yeah. decade, you know, in terms of what we see in the culture. And, and we see also you talk about the fact that what we see at the cross that we stumble toward is uh, that kind of paradox of division and acceptance all at the same time. Talk about what you mean by that. Yeah, well, I think that the, that, the cross, the the cross's offense is it's hard because Jesus is the light of the world, and I, I think that one of the things that I, I try to argue for is that you know, uh, there, there's two kind of key things that I'm trying to trying to hit on, and and throughout the book, what I'm I, I utilize the seven words spoken from the cross mm-hmm. as a means, uh, but combined with personal kind of literary memoir, and the re, and I call them fragments and what I was interested in is like, how does the gospel is that I've been a pastor, uh, I've been leading a church for the last 14 years in a city that most people think are, is beyond saving. <laughs> um, and there is incredible brokenness here, but there's also an incredible movement of God. And there's a rawness that comes with a city that's truly post-Christian. And one of the things I'm trying to call people to is that the, that, that a radical vulnerability about our brokenness um, is not a weakness uh, for a Christian, that actually the power of the gospel is when we realize that um, that it's in our weakness that his that his perfection is made known, and so th- that the you know the division piece um, is the the realization that when Jesus wasn't being hyperbolic when he said, "If I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself." Right. I think that wherever Jesus is lifted up, people are drawn, but the response is not the same. There's a dividing nature um, mm-hmm. that happens because he, at the same time, he's he's the sword uh, that divides and and people don't like to be exposed and it takes a courage to come into the light. But when you lift up Jesus, you're shining light in on darkness. And some people are willing to receive the receive the uh, uh, what's revealed in 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 repent other people are deeply offended and want to go back into hiding um right. and i think that we as christians often have the same response that i think the christian life is a daily that's what i call the good death it's a daily willingness uh to 
die to the lie of what God not in, did not intend for us and to come into the light. But you can't come into the light without being consistently revealed. That's why I, uh, I, I love what Oswald Chambers once said. He's like, he's like, I don't believe a, a person can truly even know what sin is until they're saved. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and the more, and the closer we walk into the light, the more light that comes into our life, the more we see how desperately we need Jesus. And so I'm like, I'm, I've been a believer now for 22 years. I'm, you know, it's like, uh, I'm, I'm leery of anyone that feels like they're arriving. I'm like, I don't <laughs> think the goal of the Christian life is arriving. I think the goal of the right. Christian life is no, is knowing. Uh, the Jesus that loves us in spite of our brokenness. <laughs> yeah, boy, so. that 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 is so powerful, and it plays in nicely, Josh White, with what you write about in the book, stumbling toward eternity, losing and finding ourselves in the cross of Jesus. Because I, I've I've suspect, I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for over forty years, even though I grew up in the church. I didn't get saved till I was nineteen. And that's the one thing that uh, the older I get, the more I begin to realize, hey, wait a minute, if I knew how bad my sin was, if I could even comprehend it when I was, you know, making that decision, I never would have made it. I mean, there's no way because yeah. my logical brain would have said, there's there's not enough blood coming from the cross to pay for my sin. And at the same time, the older I get and the more I grow in knowledge of him, he just keeps showing me more and more of what my forgiveness really means. And yeah. it's, it's, it's brutal, man. It's just brutal. I, I mean, but praise God, we can have a good chuckle about it, but uh, you and I both know we're laughing more nervously out of the fact that we, we are acknowledging that rather than the fact that we've got this all figured out. Pastor Josh White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Stumbling Toward Eternity is the name of the new book, Losing and Finding Ourselves in the Cross of Jesus. There's a link up to thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break and come back with more of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Pastor Josh White is my guest. We are talking about his fascinating book that's part memoir, part... uh, uh, well, what am I thinking about? Uh, hermeneutics, part, part sermon. It's called Stumbling Toward Eternity, Losing and Finding Ourselves in the Cross of Jesus. It takes a look at the seven last words of uh, our Lord on the cross. It takes a look at um, his uh, kind of mending of a relationship, but a badly estranged relationship with his own father. But we see ourselves at the foot of the cross, especially as we stumble into this. We want to think that we're going to cross the finish line, running steady, hands up high. Yeah, where's my gold ribbon or blue ribbon and gold medal? And instead, yeah, you know, when you get right down to it, I mean, so many people are so desperate right now. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for depth. They're looking for beauty and they don't know where to turn. Um, The best place to find it is in the ugly beauty of the cross. We've got a copy of this book to give away right now. I'll give you first crack at it. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, you're asking for Pastor Josh White's book, Stumbling Toward Eternity. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's amazing how... Um, when you look at these stories that Josh has put in this book, and they're very confessional, but you look at the theology and the fact that he's got such a depth of theological knowledge, especially for a guy who came to faith later in life, who didn't grow up in a Christian home, who was abandoned by his father when he was a year old. Um, It's just, it's remarkable to see. And yet, when you think about that paternal abandonment issue, especially, you know, there's that point in our own faith journey. Even if you grow up in the church, 
where you try on, you, you kind of wear the family crest around, you know, you got your own family armor and that protects you until you get older and then you realize it doesn't fit. It's meant for somebody else. It's meant for someone in my family, but not for me. And you realize that God has made you your own custom coat, your custom suit of armor. And it's amazing. But there are times when when your family armor fails because you need to have your own faith, you will look at your father and say, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned away from me? Not realizing, hey, wait, there's something better for you. God made it custom for you. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, but it's a perfect fit. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, more from Pastor Josh White about stumbling toward eternity. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Josh White is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Pastor Josh White is the uh, uh, the founding pastor of Door of Hope in Portland, Oregon, uh, has w- recorded multiple worship albums, uh, was the front man of Telecast. Uh, he's also, in addition to producing records, he's also a writer and a speaker, and he's got a brand new book out that I, I highly recommend for your uh, Lenten celebration as that's kind of just wrapping up this weekend. The book is called Stumbling Toward Eternity, Losing and Finding Ourselves in the Cross of Jesus. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Josh, during the break, we were talking about the fact that this book uh, has really struck a nerve with a lot of people. And at the same time, what we've seen, I'd say culturally over the past five years, maybe the past 10, is an increased amount of people who are suffering, whether it was from the pandemic or from racial strife or uh, people who lost everything 15 years ago in the Great Recession. I mean, there's a there's a lot of that. And there are people who in the world are saying, well, okay, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. Or I don't believe in your God because if God is God and he's all loving and this, that, and the other thing, there sure seems to be a lot of suffering in the world. Talk mm-hmm. about how what we as Christians, what we can understand about the role suffering plays in our sanctification and the satisfaction of Jesus' death on the cross for sin. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that we misunderstand often uh, in, in the faith is this idea that the liberation that Jesus brings is some kind of freedom from tribulation. Um, but Jesus himself said, you know, I, I've said these things to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full that, that I've, I've come to bring. It's like, I bring peace, but I also bring a sword. Um, that Ephesians says that he, that he himself is our peace. Who's torn down the middle wall of separation. That's talking about Jew and Gentile, but it can be applied on a much broader level of, of separation between man and God as well. Um, and so one of the things I like to point out is that, you know, we have a a lot of, uh, misunderstanding around what peace is for us. Peace, you know, is the picture of, uh, you know, it's like the Monet painting of the placid lake with the, with the boat, you know, gently resting in the water. And I think that that is a kind of peace. It's a, a place without turbulence, without violence, without, without anything disrupting this calm atmosphere. I think that that is the peace that we will experience on the other side of eternity. Um, but peace in a in a fallen world is the promise of Christ's presence with us in the midst of tribulation. The painting that would be far more accurate would be Rembrandt's gorgeous painting of Jesus asleep in the in a boat, and there's he paints the most violent storm happening around the ship. Mm-hmm. And I think that what one of the things that I always say that you know they call it theodicy. What is it? is there a theology of suffering? And I would say, if there is, uh, God is pretty darn silent about it. Um, and in fact, uh, we should know better than trying to figure out why we suffer when we, we don't know why the serpent's in the garden. It doesn't say he's just there. Um, and when Job asked God why he's suffering, God doesn't answer. He just 
he responds with his own questions. I think that the cross is the great is the great equalizer because what it tell what it tells us what you should be focused on is not why we suffer, um, but the far more the far more important question. I don't care why I suffer. What I care about a lot is does God care about it and has He done something about it? And that's what the cross reminds us is that is that God cares about our suffering that he has entered into our suffering. Dorothy Sayers once said in Creed or Chaos, whatever game God is playing with human beings and suffering, he has played fair and taken his own medicine. That's mm. what we can take from the cross. And what I love about that is that it's the reminder, because then when the book I, de- I, I delve really deep into my own brokenness, my past abandonment of my father when I was one, pretty cruel stepdad's abuse, all these things that can turn us into bitter and destroyed and it does affect us mentally and it creates these what i call glitches psychological glitches and challenges relationally as we come come into adulthood and those things don't go i you know just because i got saved doesn't mean that all of a sudden i miraculously you know live as if i didn't is that i did grow up with a dad like nothing changes that fact that my dad wasn't there and that he chose drugs and alcohol over his boys um however the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus is able to take the dissonant notes of our existence and weave them into his redemptive purposes. He mm-hmm. can override them. He, and we don't have to make him responsible for our suffering. But what we can say, and we should hold to tenaciously, is that he will use it all for good. Um, and and the way that he used it in my life is that, it, that through my own suffering, he showed me that I couldn't pastor a church and be a spiritual father to the hundreds and hundreds of young adults that were coming to faith at door of hope while refusing to have any kind of relationship with my earthly father. And mm. that caused me to begin to push into a relationship with my book deals with in great depth. My dad, who died last February, he came to faith in 2020. Mm. Um, and he never apologized for not being there for me. And he was a rough man. He was like, I always say that people ask me what my dad was like. He, I mean, he lived in a cabin off the grid, probably never paid taxes in his life in Alaska. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he looked like Grizzly Adams. Yeah. Or he, he sounded like Grizzly Adams and looked like a more weathered version of Willie Nelson. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and, you know, drank a liter of vodka a day and smoked uh. two packs of Camel Reds and died of COPD. But the Lord just showed me, it's like, how can I sit, how can I accept the love and the forgiveness of Jesus and then withhold it from my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I really truly believe that the loveless Christian is not actually a thing because Jesus said the most important thing is love God and love your neighbor and your neighbors, whoever is behind you, in front of you, right. next to you at mm-hmm. any given moment. And so I, my belief that on my worst day, I am loved by Jesus gave me the ability to enter into the pain of my father's the absence of my father in relationship with him and become a conduit of grace in his life and, and to see him come to faith. Um, and he was like the thief on the cross. He didn't have like some big robust theological grid. You know, mm-hmm. when he, when he, when I asked him about his uh, newfound faith, he said, he goes, I prayed to receive Jesus. And I go, yeah, dad, well, tell me about that. And he goes, I'm not sure it's stuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, I go, dad, I think Jesus's grace is stickier than your doubts. And he goes, yeah. you know what? He, he cried and he goes, oh. you know what, son, and I, I believe that it's just hard because I don't feel like I can offer him much. And I'm like, mm. he's not, <laughs> he just wants you, dad. That's yeah. all he wants. He wants oh. you. And, you know, and, uh, and, and I think that that's the, and then he goes, he goes, I believe that son. He goes, can I ask you a question? I'm like, what's that? And he's like, 
is it okay if I call him the big fella? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I, you know, the, the, the biblicist in me was like, well, as long as you started with Jesus and he goes, I did, but I like to think of him as a big fella. And I'm like, I, I think that's probably fine. <laughs> oh man. What a delightful story. I mean, I, I'm talking with Josh White today here on the bottom line, pastor Josh White, the author of the book, stumbling toward eternity, losing and finding ourselves in the cross of Jesus. So many different avenues that get us to where that title is germane. But I, I, I want to give your dad a hug in heaven. I can't wait to meet this guy. And, and I know you're saying, well, that's easy for you to say, because we just had a five minute conversation about him. But, <laughs> but, but I know if we want to read more about that whole story, we've got to get the book. Uh, Josh, we have a couple minutes left. Talk about what your hope was. I mean, it's part memoir, part um, you know, theological treaties with regard to uh, the way, the nature of our lives in Christ and the kind of paradoxes that we see in these seven final words of Jesus. What is your hope for someone who reads this book and says, oh, wow, I didn't realize that? Yeah. Um, you know, the, some of the biggest focus, well, first of all, it comes out of the simple conviction that if we remove the cross uh, from from the from the center of Christian discourse, we actually drain Christianity of its blood. Amen. So when when Paul says, you know, Jews seek after signs, the Greeks seek after knowledge, but we preach Christ crucified. Um, we we need to remember that that you know that's not just something that Jews and Greeks do. Um, <laughs> it, that 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 is actually yes. the tendency within the church. There are Christians who put all their emphasis on being orthodox and being biblical and being right. Um, but but it's a it's not relational knowledge. It's knowledge that makes that that puts them in a place of it's pride and knowledge. The other side is pride and experience, and you can see that in more extreme sides of of Christianity, where it's all about the emotional experience in Jesus. Right. What I think is that the cross gives us a solid balance of word and spirit, um, and uh, and reminds us that the goal of the Christian life is knowing, not arriving. Uh, that the goal is not sinning less, but loving more. Um, and then the other big piece for me is um, is a call to a radical vulnerability. And what I mean by that is that I think that the world, uh, as a as a pastor in a church that's post Christian and whose church has been built on seeing people come to faith, and I, I work on the side for the Luis Palau Association, and mm -hmm, Luis yeah. Palau is a very dear friend and a mentor of mine. And I've never met a man that loved people as well as he did because he was a man who loved jesus and and there was whether he was talking to the queen of england or the server when him and i would have breakfast at b saws in northwest he loved people the same uh, all the way up till his death a couple of years ago i mean just the way that he you know i he would tell stories of like telling the nurse the nurses like like honey i want you to be with me in heaven you just need to give your life to jesus he loves you like he just <laughs> He so sincerely believed that yeah, he can yeah. even say the most cliche things, but the heart was so sincere that people were yeah, like, you can tell, I just want that guy to keep talking to me. So mm -hmm. I, and I love that it's, it came from a, a, an honesty of personhood. And I think that we've fallen into the trappings where we've believed the lie that what the world wants is to see us present an ideal that we ourselves can't keep. Mm. And I think that, and, and I think what we, the church should be doing is functioning a lot more like an AA meeting. Hi, my name's Josh. I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. And, it, and it's and it's the love that actually knowing that I'm loved in spite of my brokenness that actually inspires me to live in the victory that Jesus has for me. Um, but I think a lot of us are trying to prove to Jesus that we're lovable and it's exhausting. And so 
so what I try to separate is the difference. That's why on the cover of the book, there's a ladder and there's a cross. I think the world is constantly trying to get us to climb ladders. And the, one of the key statements in the book is the cross is not something we climb. It's something we die on. Mm. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, so that, you know, that's what I hope. I hope people, you know, that's like, like, yeah, people just want to know that we're real people that struggle just like they do. The difference is that we, we know that we're loved and we have the answer and, but we need to be able to show them how that answer actually makes a difference in our lives. Couldn't say it better uh, myself, and I'm so grateful that Pastor Josh White gave us that exhortation and benediction all wrapped up in one uh, phrase there. Josh White, the author of the book, Stumbling Toward Eternity, Losing and Finding Ourselves in the Cross of Josh We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Josh, uh, last 30 seconds here. Where do we find you on social media? Uh, well, you can find I wish I, I liked it more, but I'm just old enough that it's really hard for me. I keep telling the publisher, I'm like, I don't want to promote myself. It feels weird, <laughs> but I love doing podcasts, I, you know, yeah. but I, but yeah, I, you can find dorpopedx.org. Um, you can email me josh at dorpopedx.org if you have questions. And then I, I do have an Instagram. It's just josh.alexander.white. Uh, and I also have a website, josh, a white, um, uh, yeah. what is that? It's just joshawhite.com. I, I, I just set it up because I was asked to. I'm like, yes. it also felt weird. <laughs> and all my records are available on Spotify and, and iTunes. So Great. We'll go ahead and make sure yeah. that's all linked up at thebottomlineshow.com so our listeners can find you wherever they need to find you. Josh White, thank you for uh, the work you've done on this book and this great conversation too. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, this is a riveting book and one of the most compelling I've come across in quite some time. Pastor Josh White has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Josh, thanks again for the conversation. The book is called Stumbling Toward Eternity, Losing and Finding Ourselves on the Cross of Jesus. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy to give away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, got some final thoughts to share about what Josh has written about the uh, stumbling toward eternity and finding ourselves uh, and losing ourselves and finding ourselves again in the identity of Christ that we meet first at the cross. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Cover Law. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. 
My thanks again to pastor and author Josh White for joining us here on this Good News, Good Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. His outstanding book on the seven last words of Jesus and others uh, called Stumbling Toward Eternity, Losing and Finding Ourselves in the Cross of Jesus. Giving away a copy right now at 800-227-5278. Keep calling in because sometimes, you know, Crystal and Teresa find more copies. You never can tell. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get us through to the bottom line. You know, the cross isn't a status symbol. I, I, I mean, it is for a lot of Christians. People have cross tattoos, cross necklaces, rings, t-shirts, etc. But it really isn't something, I mean, when you think about the world, we talk about people who climb the ladder of success. Nobody climbs the cross and says, now I'm going to succeed. You climb the cross because you're about to get nailed to it and you're going to die on that cross. But here's the deal. It's so wild to think that what dies on the cross is not you, but your sin. What dies on the cross is not you, but the illusions you have of who you might be in the world or what heaven is like or whatever. And in many ways, even though we see Jesus nailed to a cross with a scar on his side and scars in his wrist and scars in his feet, he is our wounded healer. This is where we find healing. This is where crucified son of God speaks words that bring freedom to us. Your sins are forgiven. Believe that my death pays the penalty for your sin and you will be healed. You now receive gifts like freedom to live with hope, freedom to truly love. And it all boils down to us coming to the cross of Christ, willing to literally lose ourselves. I I don't want to be here anymore. This old sinful person, I want to get rid of him. I want to get rid of her. And you do. Because the blood of Jesus sets you free from that old person, that old self, and doesn't make you a better version of your old sinful self, but rather says, no, you're a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So in a sense, you lose yourself at the cross, but you find yourself at the cross as well. Uh, Josh is a musician, and I love the way he describes this. He says, even the most dissonant notes of life can be redeemed in God's song as we stumble toward eternity. Such a great book, and I highly commend it to you. We, we are giving away a copy right now, taking your calls till the top of the hour. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. 
B-A-B-Y. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line, and this is Good News Good Friday edition of the program. We're still taking your calls for Josh White's book, Stumbling Toward Eternity, Losing and Finding Ourselves at the Cross of Jesus, 800-227-5278. And by the way, if you are listening right now to Terrestrial Radio or maybe the podcast, don't forget, Josh and I had a great conversation at myhopenow.com. We did video of our conversation that you just heard. And I believe Tamara has that up as well. So if you want to check out Josh and you know, he's got that cool pastor pip vibe <laughs> type of thing. I like him. He's a good guy. Um, and you can learn more about the book there as well. So it's either uh, wherever you get your podcasting or if you want to watch the video of our conversation, go to myhopenow.com. You know, here we are on Good Friday, the day that we commemorate the Lord's death on the cross. We celebrate the fact that with that death and resurrection, um, you know, of, of Jesus Christ, that the idea is now we can be free. We can actually uh, experience that freedom by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to see how the events played out, because can you imagine what the disciples must have been looking at on Palm Sunday, or what we call Palm Sunday? Here's Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He's already told him ahead of time, go get the donkey, go get the colt. I'm going to ride in. So he basically, this is kind of un-Jesus-like, you know, meek and mild, kind of hanging around, whatever. Now he says, no, I'm going to ride in like a king, because I have to let everyone know what going on and then on monday you can call it holy monday if you want to going into the temple and in the temple courts seeing all the money changers there and they're literally charging people to exchange their money as they bring their currency in to pay their temple tithe their temple tax if you will and they're charging them money for it there's an exchange rate the church is the synagogue is making money if you come in with a sacrifice and their inspectors deem that it's quote unquote not worthy guess what yeah, you know what happens? You, you wind up having to buy one of theirs on the inside. Jesus was not having any of that, so he knocked all the tables over, said, my house is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of iniquity. And you know what the, the chief priests and the elders were worried about? They were more concerned with the fact that they didn't think he had the authority to do that. They knew what they were doing was wrong, but they wanted to know why he thought he could just come in and tell them they were wrong. So on Tuesday, he goes back to the temple and what happens? They ask him the question, by what authority? I mean, who told you you could do this? And so he asked them a question right back. He says, okay, well, before I answer your question, you answer my question. When John, my cousin, we call him John the baptizer, was baptizing people, which was common in the Jewish tradition to baptize for sin, was it from God or was it from man? And they went, ah, why does he do this to us? If we say it was from God, then they're going to want to know why we literally had him thrown in prison. I mean, we got rid of him because he was a nonsense. He was, he was a nuisance rather. But if we say it was from man, that's going to make it look like we're just trying to cater to the people and we're not listening to God. And well, so they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, fine. If you don't know the answer to that question, I'm not going to give you the answer to mine but I'm basically going to make you answer that question with the next two parables. The parable of the tenants about the landlord who had a vineyard and left it to some of his vine dresser harvesting people. They could rent it from him. He got a piece of the action. Every time he sent uh, someone to collect, then they would chase him off and not pay. Finally he says, I'll send my son to collect what's due. 
to get me the payment for what I am entitled to for this land. And they killed him. And Jesus says, you know, what, what's going to happen to these guys? And they're like, Ugh. and prior to that, he asked, did the parable of the two sons where the father says, I have a vineyard and says to the first son, will you go work for me? And the son says, sure, it doesn't do it. And then the second one, he asks him and he says, no, I don't want to do it, but he does it anyway. Jesus asked the Pharisees, which son obeyed his father? And they say, the one who went out and worked for him. In other words, the one who kept his command. And Jesus' response, I mean, he doesn't just say, you're right. His response is really brutal. He says, tax collectors and prostitutes are getting into heaven ahead of you because you wouldn't tell me the truth about John. You're more upset about these people and the fact that I overturned your money-making business than the fact that what you were doing was wrong. And boy, does that sound like a lot of politicians these days, right? And on top of that, when I ask you a simple question about John, you wouldn't answer it. So in other words, the tax collectors will hear this good news and they'll change their ways. The prostitutes will hear this good news and they'll change their ways. In other words, they are going to have a better spot in heaven. They will have more jewels in their crown than you, Pharisees, who are supposed to be the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Ouch. Well, that was Holy Tuesday. <laughs> Holy Wednesday, then, is often called Silent Wednesday. That's the day that Jesus is anointed at Bethany, and Judas gives him grief and says, hey, you know, you shouldn't do that. I mean, well, we, we could sell that perfume and give the money to the poor, which he would never do, but that was good to say. And Jesus said, you know what? She's preparing me for burial. Burial, you need to calm down. And that's what Judas says. Oh yeah. And Saint Satan enters in. And next thing you know, Judas is going to betray him to, to let the, uh, the Pharisees know we'll be together tomorrow night celebrating the Passover. I'll give you the high sign. And then on Thursday, there's the entering again, which leads us to Good Friday, the gateway to Easter Sunday seeing Jesus on the cross, being put through a trial for no reason. There was no legal reason for him to be tried other than the Jews were upset because he claimed to be the son of God. And deep down, I think they knew and they just didn't want to admit it. So they had to appeal to the state. They had to appeal to Rome to get a trial to have Jesus killed. And Pilate did everything he could. You want to talk about Josh White's book, Stumbling Toward Eternity. Pilate did everything he could to blow that trial. And he couldn't because the son of God had to go to the cross. But thanks be to him, when he went to the cross, he took your sin and he took my sin and he paid the penalty for all the sin of all of mankind everywhere. Past, present, and future. And he killed it. He killed death and hell once and for all, conquered them. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a hell. And that doesn't mean there isn't a death. The question is, what do you do with the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is God sent his son in the form of a man to bear all of the sin of the world and take it to the grave and leave it there. It's scattered as far as the east is from the west, which we are told in scripture is immeasurable. Then he conquered death and hell. He rose from the grave and anyone who professes with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. Scripture tells us in Romans 10. So after God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so we might become the righteousness of God, there will come a day, brothers and sisters, 
when all of us will have to give an accounting for our sin. The difference will be those who are washed in the blood of the lamb will be able to show a sinless record. We'll be able to say, God's going to look at us and he's going to see Jesus. He's going to look at all those sins that are all going to be marked paid in full and the stain of them will not exist any longer. And then he's going to look at people outside the church and look at that tab and say, this is where you pay your tab. But the most frightening thought of all is the people who profess faith in Christ, who say they live like believers, say they are going to heaven. And when they come up for their roll call, Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Where is your name written? Is it in the Lamb's Book of Life? This is the time to think about that, pray about that, and confess that. That is the gospel, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy your wonderful holy weekend. Have a blessed Easter. Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, I want to walk through these seven words of Jesus on the cross and find out why was he saying them, who was he saying them for and to. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this good news, good Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I love saying that. I'm Roger Marsh and so happy to have you along for the ride today. Final half hour of our Good Friday edition of the program. And this is a time when we, uh, I guess it's, you could call it a family meeting. You know, this is one of those times where we make sure that we're all on the same page. People ask me about the, the, the history of the show. And whenever I talk to people who are going to be guests on the program, sometimes they'll ask, well, you know, what's the, uh, what kind of church are you basically? Uh, what kind of denomination? And I don't say that we're non-denominational. I say we're pan-denominational. There are so many different believers of different denominational backgrounds listening to this program. And I think there are some people who are part of traditions that have kind of a Christian bent, but I wouldn't necessarily say are biblical Christianity, but I'm glad people listen, you know, and hopefully we'll hear the truth of scripture. And, and that's what I'm presenting today during the, this last half hour of our special Good uh, Friday edition of the program. It's Good News Friday, so it's Good News Good Friday. Because this is where the rubber meets the road for us, is Jesus on the cross and what happens while he's on the cross, after he's on the cross. I mean, it's been said that Christians join the world in celebrating Christmas, but only Christians celebrate Easter. Jesus entering the holy city of Jerusalem on Passover, or the beginning of Passover week, we call it Palm Sunday, was him establishing his deity. You know, he's been fully God and fully man, but now he's saying it's time for the fully God part to really start showing out. And so he rides in as a king would into a conquered nation on Palm Sunday. On Holy Monday, he goes to the temple and clears it out because he sees the Pharisees acting uh, in a way that is reprehensible to God, you know, charging exorbitant fees for sacrifices, uh, disallowing sacrifices that they were bringing in, especially the poorest of the poor, and forcing them to pay exorbitant fees for the privilege of purchasing those gifts, if you will. Uh, money changers changing into temple. I mean, the temple had their own currency. It was, it was really crazy. He goes back to the temple on Tuesday, Holy Tuesday, and is challenged by the Pharisees. And again, this is one of those cases you have to look at this straight up. The Pharisees were not arguing with him that what he did was wrong. They did not disagree that what he did was right. They didn't think he had the authority to do it. And they challenged him. And so he challenged their authority. I mean, basically, he's calling them out saying, look, if you, you know who I am and you know why I did what I did, you won't admit it because you don't want people to hear you saying it. So I'll force you to say it. 
He tells them the parable of the two sons. This is after they said, well, what, by what authority? And uh, uh, did you do this? He said, well, what authority did John baptize with? Was it of God or was it of people? Was it a popularity thing? Well, everybody loves John baptizing, so we'll endorse it. Or was he really baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as the Jewish tradition would have him do, but he's not one of you? And they said, well, we can't answer that question because you painted us into a corner. If we say that it was of God, then we look stupid because we didn't you know, recognize it as from God. But if we say that it's a man, then it looks like we're playing the crowd and we're not trusting God. So they didn't answer, so he asked them a parable. And the parable forces them to acknowledge that they really didn't understand who he was. They really didn't like who he was and what he was doing. And so they hunt down Rome saying, look, we don't have any laws to put a man to death, but this guy needs to be put to death. See, we're so horrified because he's blaspheming, taking the name of the Lord in vain, violating a commandment, blah, 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 blah. And so Pilate kind of fumbles it, but, you know, go to Herod, go back to me. My wife says, don't do it, but I'm going to do it. Don't you want Barabbas? I mean, he, uh, he's terrible, so I'll give you Jesus instead of Barabbas. And they were so blinded to the truth, they said, we want Barabbas. Well, Jesus had to go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. While he's on the cross, he utters seven, the, you can call them words or sayings, oftentimes in Aramaic or Greek or Hebrew, what we translate as an entire sentence could be one word. And the seven phrases that Jesus states are literally kind of put into um, uh, you know, the, what the, some people call the station of the cross, uh, but the, they, they fall into these seven categories. The first is forgiveness, the second is salvation, the third is relationship with him. The fourth is abandonment from him. The fifth is distress. The sixth is triumph. And the seventh is reunion, or we would say reconciliation between God the Father and God the Son. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, the crowd is muttering and Jesus is up on the cross with the two thieves, one on either side. And the crowd are, you know, hurling insults and spitting at him and throwing things at him. And what does Jesus do? The first thing he prays is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Don't discount this. Don't run away from this too quickly. Forgiveness is at the essence of who we are as Christians. I'll say it again. Forgiveness is at the essence of who we are as Christians. We have a relationship with God because God chose to forgive our sin or to make a way for our sins to be forgiven before we could do anything. And then he says to us that we're to forgive others the way we have been forgiven. None of us can forgive anybody else as good as God has forgiven us. But look at what Jesus says on the cross. He is withering away physically. He's had 40 stripes save one, 39 lashes, because 40 was uh, the, uh, believed in the Roman world, that would be death. So we're going to get you one stroke away from death, but then we didn't kill you. Miraculously, no food, no water, beaten within an inch of his life, and Jesus still has not broken a bone. He has scars on the outside, but somehow his body is still holding up and without any bones breaking, according to prophecy. And when he looks at the crowd and hears their hurls and insults, he says... He prays to God, forgive them, because that's what he's doing on the cross. This is the beginning of the forgiveness of all of these sins. 
it would look pretty shabby if he gets up on the cross. All the sin of the world, the entire world is on his shoulders. And he says, Father, and pray some imprecatory prayer. Strike down these people. Around. No, it's about forgiveness. And that's the model that we need. Whenever I get the texts, the emails, the videos, the righteous indignation about this government official or this, that, and the other thing, and we need God to strike them down. I, all I can hear back in my head is Jesus praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Whenever I hear someone saying, well, you know, you haven't come to my church and you haven't responded to our pastor preaching the gospel and you haven't been baptized by immersion in this lake at our church, all I can hear is Jesus saying to the thief on the right, verily I say unto thee, Luke 23, 43, today you will be with me in paradise. All that thief did was to acknowledge to his buddy. The buddy's like, ah, come on, Jesus. You should be able to get yourself down from here. You say you're so wonderful. You know, you deserve this too. Blah, you know. And the thief on the right says, wait, he didn't do anything wrong. That's a true statement. We deserve to be here for our sin. We did something so heinous that we deserve to die in the public square, nearly naked, bleeding and beaten. We don't have a crown of thorns in our head. Jesus did on his. But then he looks at Jesus and says, Rabbi, teacher, when you enter your kingdom, will you remember me? I, I just love the fact he doesn't say save me. He doesn't say rescue me. He says, remember me. And what Jesus says in response is today you will be with me in paradise. And I love how he says that because so many people will look at other people that they know. Well, they didn't go forward at an altar call. They didn't have some, they didn't pray the sinner's prayer. They haven't been baptized. Will there be any hope for that person? And the question is answered very easily in Luke 23, 42, 43, where he says, you know, will you remember me? And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Just a couple, the first two of the seven last words that Jesus spoke on the cross were just kind of taking a jet tour of them, walking through them. We'll continue that on the other side of this break as this Good News, Good Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show continues in a moment. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News, Good Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, taking a look at the seven last words of Jesus. The first, of course, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, from Luke 23, 34. The second phrase, uh, 23, Luke 23, 43, uh, when the thief on the cross 
says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And that's in verse 42. And Jesus response is, um, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. And it's interesting because when you look at the original Greek, uh, mimnasko is the, uh, is the Greek verb that means remember. It means to call to mind, to actively be mindful of. And I love the fact that it's not just a, hey, remember me because we're never going to see each other again. It's please remember me. And there's that faith component that you see that he didn't know, but that he had. But he's dying and he's out of his mind on the cross, just like Jesus is. And the thief says, remember me actively. Like, I believe that you're going to heaven. I believe that you're going to conquer death and hell. I believe that you are who you are. I mean, that one phrase, remember me when you enter your kingdom, is his profession of faith. And that's why Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, because they had a spiritual connection there that is just fantastic. And I love that aspect of this, and I hope you do too. John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, it makes sense that John would focus on this aspect of Jesus because of the fact that, first of all, you know, it's interesting. John sees stuff that other disciples didn't record, but also he kind of puts himself front and center in the story. You know, he's got a brother. Uh, his mother, Salome, who was a cousin of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, um, th- she was the one who came up and said, hey, you know, uh, can you remember, you know, my kids and make sure that they get a, uh, uh, a right and left hand on your side? And Jesus said, well, that's not for me to dis- determine. But it's interesting how John is there at the cross and we don't see recollection of any other disciple being there. Mary is there, Salome is there. And Jesus looks and says, woman, Behold your son, son, behold your mother. Uh, Mindful of the temporal, knowing that Mary has a special place and her name is, she's highly favored and will always be highly regarded. Jesus says to the one who is going to get the revelation about how the world is going to end, the only uh, disciple, by the way, who did not die as a result of his martyrdom. You had the disciples being uh, drawn and quartered and crucified and this, that, the other thing. Uh, according to legend, uh, the attempt on John's life was that he was uh, to be boiled in oil. And apparently after uh, he survived that, he was exiled to Patmos where he uh, lived out his days and wound up getting the revelation. So for God to look at Mary and look at John and say, John, you, she doesn't have a husband now. Uh, she doesn't have an oldest son now. Uh, she has children, but you be that child for her, that son for her. It's, a, it's beautiful and tender and touching, and it shows us uh, a, a, the fully man side, but fully God side that says, God will care and comfort for you. In Matthew 27, verse 46, we see the same verse in, Math, in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. We see the fourth word of Jesus on the cross. This is now where Jesus has been, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. This is the part where the God, the Father, literally has to turn away. God is a holy God. Remember the reason why Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin and to defeat sin, death, and hell for the children of God is because a holy God doesn't break the rules for himself. Holy God cannot dwell with sinful people. Look at the Israelites, the Jews in the Old Testament, and how many different ritualistic sacrifices they had to follow, et cetera, et cetera. And part of the reason they did, it's really very simple, because they were sinful people and there needed to be a blood sacrifice 
to atone for that. Now, there were grain offerings and wave offerings and things like that too, but God's currency is blood. Now, Jesus, bleeding out, is going to pay the penalty for our sin. So he becomes sin. Can you imagine? You know that, that awful feeling when you've done something wrong? You've hurt somebody badly, or you've broken the law. You know, maybe you were speeding in that sinking pit in your gut when the police officer pulls you over. I mean, imagine having every one of those thoughts for every sin committed to that point and every sin that will be committed to that point literally bearing down on your soul. But in the middle of all of it, even in our sinful fallen nature, we have comfort in knowing that when we come before the Lord, there's forgiveness. Now you're Jesus, fully God and fully man, and he asks rhetorically, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you turned your head from me? And the answer actually is not a rhetorical question. The reason God turned his head away is because Jesus now is bearing the entire sin of the entire world and God cannot dwell in the presence of that sin. Now there's a key part in the seventh word that Jesus says on the cross. So hold that thought. By the fourth word Jesus says up there, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God has turned away because the two of them are now separated. And the same sin that separated you and me from God prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, they are now experiencing together, and it's awful. It's brutal. It's just, it, it's, it's terrible. John steps in now for the next two words that are not recorded anywhere else in Scripture. And remember I told you about the, uh, uh, the, the, the seven stations of the cross, if you will, in terms of forgiveness and salvation and relationship and, and abandonment. The forgiveness, of course, is Jesus beginning before he even takes on all of the sin of the world by asking God, praying from the cross, Father, forgive these people who are mocking me and spitting at me and cursing at me. Forgive them because they really don't know what they're doing. And then the salvation part, you see what ha happens with Jesus in the presence of a spiritual connection, a pure, holy, heartfelt uh, cry to the Lord for salvation. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then for the temporal need of his mother, the woman who, uh, Mary, who was highly favored and the Holy Spirit uh, caused the Christ child to grow in her womb. And John, the disciple Jesus loved and, and Jesus from the cross, knowing that his mother who has been widowed is now about to lose her only son, which in the Jewish culture back in Jesus' day was huge to be that way. And he says, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. And then that fourth, that moment of agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That abandonment. And then there's the distress. When Jesus says, I thirst, well, there's nothing you can do to quench his thirst. Nothing. They're going to give him some wine mixed with uh, gall and vinegar uh, to try to kind of ease the pain as he's going into suffering. But he's in physical distress, but he's in spiritual and emotional distress too. He is doing the work now. When he on the cross says, I'm thirsty, he is doing the work. This is the part where if we're sitting there with the popcorn reading along in scripture, because nobody else knew what was going to happen, but we know because we've got the verses printed out for us. When Jesus says, I thirst, this is him saying, okay, I've got all the sin of the world on me. I've been abandoned by God. I've been abandoned by people. There's just a few people clutching and clinging, and I'm doing the work that God sent me to. This is that cup 
that Jesus prayed for in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Well, when he says, I thirst, ironically, he's drinking that cup of God's wrath. He's drinking that cup of God's vengeance and anger and all of that and taking it on. And so his soul is thirsting for what? For righteousness, for restitution, for redemption. That's what he's thirsting for. And then he takes us on a journey that leads us right to where we are for those of us who are called according to his purpose and who love him completely. We'll take a quick break on this Good News Good Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show and take a look at the final two words of Jesus on the cross coming up next as the Bottom Line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn. Make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year. So give a gift right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're taking a look here on this Good News, Good Friday edition of the program. Taking a look at the seven last words of Jesus. And by the way, if you want to take a fresh set of... Uh, vision toward this. Earlier in the program today, I interviewed pastor and author Josh White about his book called Stumbling Toward Eternity, Losing and Finding Ourselves on the Cross of Jesus. It, he does a, a treatise, if you will, on the seven last words of Jesus in that book. And I highly recommend it. The book is up at thebottomlineshow.com and uh, check out my interview with Josh at myhopenow.com as well, the video and audio. We're looking at the seven last words of Jesus here on this Good News Good Friday. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Establishes from Luke 23, 34, that Jesus' ministry was all about forgiveness of sin, first and foremost, and that we in the body of Christ need to be forgivers. Secondly, uh, when the thief on the cross, who knows he's guilty of sin, who knows he deserves death, in this physical life, but also knows that Jesus is the sinless son of God who did not deserve to die, which means he's got a greater role ahead. And when the soul, the heart of this thief, reaches out to Jesus and says, teacher, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. What the requestor is basically saying is, don't just, remember that guy on the cross? He's saying, look, you know me and you know my heart. It's that word, menisco, literally means it's an active recall. As in, I know you're not going to die. You're still going to be alive. Will you please remember me? Because I don't want to die that way either. And Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. He, from the cross, gives responsibility of Mary to John the Baptist. 
or John the, uh, the apostle. And then the moment when all that sin is foisted upon him, he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm thirsty, he's doing the work. But then very famously, he says, it is finished. And here comes that earthquake and that thunderclap. The work is done. The distress is over. The bill has been paid for everyone. Now, the distinction we have to make is that bill was paid for everyone who believes that Jesus paid it, who believes that they have a debt to sin. There are a lot of people running around going, this is great, I can do whatever I want to because Jesus already forgave my sins. So it doesn't matter what I do because I'm loved, man. I'm love and I'm the love of God and look at me. Instead of saying, wait a minute, Jesus says, if you love me, John 15, you'll obey my commands. You'll treat my word with respect and inerrancy. I finished the work on the cross, but you're finished if you don't believe and receive it. But then probably the most powerful moment is now what? Jesus said it's about forgiveness. He shows the way of salvation. He takes care of his mother and shows us the importance of these earthly relationships. He feels forsaken and forgotten by God. He's thirsting because he's doing the work and he's thirsting for righteousness and he's just exhausted and spent with sin. Not that he sinned, but he's bearing the weight of the world. And then the work is done in John 19, 30. We jump back to Luke 23, 46, where he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. After literally destroying sin and death and hell for everyone, for once and for all, for everyone who believed that he did it, Remember the old uh, commercial where they'd say, hey, so-and-so, you just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do now? And they'd say, I'm going to Disneyland or I'm going to Disney World, you know, whatever. Hey, Jesus, you just (laughs) conquered sin, death, and hell. What are you going to do now? And he says, well, the first thing I have to do that now that sin has been eliminated, not that there isn't sin in the world for 2,000 plus years, people are still sinning and they're very good at it, unfortunately but saying now the effects of sin, the detriment of sin will no longer plague mankind. That's the good news. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, which he will do in a couple of days, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, not just your savior, but the one who guides your steps. When Jesus says, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit, he's basically saying, okay, this is where the relationship between God and mankind, the restoration begins. And it starts with Jesus. And he prays the words of a prayer from Psalm 31, verse 5, which was a prayer that Jewish parents taught their children. It was kind of their version of, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Instead, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit means as I'm going to sleep. I go to sleep in the knowledge knowing that I'm either going to wake up again for another day that you are ordaining for me, or I'm going to wake up in your arms. And so Jesus takes that faith fall, if you will, Father, into your hand. Here I come. Remember, Jesus and the Father have not been reconciled yet. The last time we saw them, the Father turns his face away in Matthew 27, 46, and Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you turned away from me? So Jesus comes to God now and says, okay, I held up my end of the bargain. Here I am. And I'm commending my hands into your spirit. Or into your, I'm committing my spirit into your hands more accurately. And what happens next is everyone after that, 
who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ gets to commend your spirit into the hands of God. Every single one. Imagine that moment when you entered the waters of baptism. You fell into the arms of our Heavenly Father. You came up out of the water washed clean. Every time you take communion with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're fellowshipping with God. The good news is available for anyone who will believe it. But for those who don't, there is eternal torment waiting. Death and hell and sin have been conquered once and for all for the children of God. That's the good news we celebrate on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. And that's the bottom line. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Have a blessed weekend.